With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Astros Baseball is brought to you by Ram Shirts. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Go to RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. My special guests today are Sam and Mac, the co-hosts of The Rumor the number one baseball podcast in the United States and probably a lot of other charts. Guys, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Do you guys even know how to look for the charts? Were you, <laughs> were you, aware, were you aware that you're number one? Uh, I hadn't seen it put like that until I saw your tweet about it. Um, I mean, I've looked at Apple charts, but that's about the extent of it. What are you looking on? There's a website called Chartable, hmm. and it's and it's free to look at, and it'll show you what the uh, what the top charts are in baseball and whatever else you're in. Very uh, cool. But congr- congrats, congrats to you guys. The highest I've ever been is 18, and that's because I got a bunch of friends to give me five star reviews. 18's <laughs> good, as you know. There are. <laughs> So many podcasts. <laughs> so the idea that that your voice is, is breaking through that clutter is something to be celebrated. For sure. And uh, when I hear the number 18, Sam will know better if this is true, but my mind goes to Chris Davis's jersey number. Oh, I, I, I have to fact check you, Mac. That's, that's actually 19. Ah! Oh, Little right. Orioles trivia, failed. which is which is also, I believe, the number of years we signed him to a contract for, <laughs> and have only just gotten out from under. That part's <laughs> so definitely you... not true, but. <laughs> so let's go to y'all's backgrounds. You're both from Baltimore. You're both living in New York now. Are you still Baltimore Orioles fans for life? I assume. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I I just can't can't quit the team. Um, you know, though it would seem they're interested in perhaps quitting us fans but um yeah i mean as you know as a sports fan um you kind of don't have a choice at a certain point uh if it just gets in your bloodstream thick enough it's just kind of impossible to stop caring um yeah so we're we're still uh still big fans yeah uh i it's an interesting question in the context of this interview rob because in many ways, I feel like that's what our show ended up being about is what bonds you to a baseball team and the personalities on that team and what 
is what are the makings of that bond and can you ever escape them? <laughs> um, and can they withstand the stress test of doing something like investigating a conspiracy theory associated with that team and with those, those players? And I definitely feel like I'm still a fan and will always be a fan. And I think the thing that's changed for me is what being a fan means. I think when I was a kid, being a fan meant deriving all of my personal relevance in the world from how well the team was or was not doing. And I think honestly, because of the rumor, I'm starting to redefine my definition of what being a fan is to something more like belief in, in something bigger. As a, as a person who didn't grow up religious, um, it, it's starting to feel like the closest I'm ever gonna come to a benevolent form of faith. So I can totally relate with you two guys about your team being bad. <laughs> if you've kept up with baseball, you know the Astros had some bad years. Sure. And then and then when you talk about sticking with your team, not only did we have the bad years, then we had the scandal. And we all stuck, you know, like like y'all said, it's just that's your team, you know, and mm -hmm. that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, we've got current iteration of the Astros DNA in the Orioles front office as we speak. Um, yes, you do. Mike Elias, our, our, he was brought in being touted as our boy wonder GM three years and change into the rebuild. I'm starting to wonder when the wonder will <laughs> arrive, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting little shared piece of, of DNA between our two teams because the Astros were at the vanguard of this current movement in baseball to tear things down to the bolts and put it all back together again through combination of draft picks and analytics. And I'm waiting for the draft picks and analytics to arrive in Baltimore. I guess we've got Adley Reutschman or Rutschman. I'm never sure how to say his yeah. last name. He should be here this year, but it's going to take more than him to <laughs> dig yeah. out of this hole. It's definitely frustrating to have a team that can't compete on the field and they won't call anybody up and you feel like the team's not trying. That's how I felt with the Astros, but I stuck with it. They turned out to be good. And so let's go to, let's jump into the podcast. Let, let's talk about the party. Mac, you were at a party and Someone brought up the rumor, something you guys knew about, and it kind of faded away in time. Y'all spoke about that on the podcast. You, you interviewed, you know, you asked some people currently if they knew about it. No one even knew what you're talking about. Right. But, okay, so let's talk about the, the party a little bit. And the question I have for you is, how, how, how come you didn't know it was a tropical theme party? <laughs> like, who invited you and didn't tell you that? Great, great question, Rob. And you are the first person... To, to zero in on that, and I salute you for that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, one, um, one surprising lesson from the past year of working on this um, is that the truth is, if you can, you should, should always go to parties. Um, this was in January of 2020, and I just remember being like cold and tired. And even though the party was in my apartment building, I was like reluctant to drag myself, you know, down a few flights of stairs to attend it. But thank goodness I did because um, though I did not wear uh, a Hawaiian shirt and full disclosure, 
I did have some inkling. It was a tropical theme party. I didn't realize how seriously these millennials were going to go for it, and they really went for it. Um, so <laughs> that was a surprise. But in any case, always go to the party. I met um, a guy I sort of knew casually from around the neighborhood. Um, I'd always he'd always seemed interesting to me. So I, you know, when I looked around and sort of saw this other guy who seemed out of place, we gravitated towards one another and just started casually talking like you do at a party and pretty quickly you know he asked where I was from I said Baltimore and honest to goodness the next thing he's saying to me is oh is that right oh then you probably have heard the rumor and <laughs> as it came up in a, a recent other conversation someone asked is that like common when you meet someone new uh you know and they find out you're from Baltimore is that their first question and I said no usually the first question is like oh, you must love the wire, right? So, but this guy is like, you know, as the show, as you come to understand in the show, he's in a very special position to sort of have um, important information about the rumor, which then launches Sam and me down this um, wild investigative path. Uh, so again, always go to parties, always talk to uh, NYPD, cops at parties and you never know where where it will take you so you guys are both writers and when you got the information you told sam who said let's make it a podcast like how, i'm surprised you didn't just write the story like how, how did y'all decide we're gonna do a podcast and let's let's be investigators i mean i'm i feel like it must have been sam but do you have a better recollection well Mac and I had already collaborated in audio a couple of times. So podcasting was sort of the language of our friendship, really. Um, I, we first met and realized we were kindred spirits because I used to do an Orioles fan podcast called Baltimoreans. And I did that with my, uh, our dear friend, Alan Smith. And Mac came over once to tell a longer version of the Orioles tryout story that you hear him tell in episode six of the rumor. Um, this was back in, I think, 2013. And we were recording in a different room of this same apartment that I'm sitting in right now. And I had never met Mac before. And he arrived carrying an autographed eight and a half by 11 photograph of Eddie Murray, uh, who is perhaps the, maybe the second most beloved Oriole of all time, or, or you know, Cal, Eddie, and Brooks Robinson are basically the, the holy trinity. Um, and, you know, I definitely felt like, okay, this is a man who gets it. <laughs> this is what we are about here, at least in this apartment and on this podcast. Um, and so that kind of sparked our friendship. And then uh, I mentioned, I think before we started recording, I have another podcast called Family Ghosts. And on that show, we tell stories about legends that have been in people's families for generations. And Mac had written this really beautiful essay about his brother uh, for Gawker. And um, we did an adaptation of that, actually two episodes uh, as adaptations of that on Family Ghosts. So kind of thinking about stories as, and how they might ideally find expression in podcast form has just always been a part of, of how we relate to each other. So it was, honestly, I, I feel like, I think I am the one who thought like there could be a podcast in this, but it came from a, it wasn't as though 
that was a novel idea. It was like, oh, let's collaborate on this the way we customarily have collaborated on things. Yeah, so, you, so you're already in the podcasting business. So yes. yeah, I under, I think that's what I would do too. I mean, because that's the only, I'm not a writer. This is the only thing I do as well. Uh, so let me ask you, how long you you only did six episodes? How long did it take you to do this podcast from beginning to end? Well, I guess um, yeah. I mean, I went to the party in January of 2020, and the first episode came out on October October 25th of this year. Um, so how long is that? That's like a year and a oh. half, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the early on, like starting with the conversation the day after the party, you know, there was definitely a period there where Sam and I were, you know, had, we were conflicted about even doing it. So that took some time to sort of, you know, tangle with that. Um, then there's, you know, preliminary research to make sure, yeah, there's, there's enough there, there to like, you know, sustain a story over several episodes. Um, you know, so I think we finally probably, um, started working with Blue Wire in earnest towards the end of 2020. I just actually went back and saw some early notes from them. Um, and then, yeah, once we aligned with them, um, and had some clear direction from them. Um, it was, I think we were like off and running and have been working. It was mostly like most of the like heavy lifting of the project happened over this year, I'd say. Yeah, I was, it sounds like Mac and I were in a similar headspace earlier today because I was going back and, you know, now that the show's over, it's, you know, it's like I miss working on it. Um, and I was going back and looking and I, I saw that our first official recording session, the first time we actually started rolling tape to have our preliminary story conversations about the rumor was December 29th of 2020. And so the last episode came out on November 29th of 2021. And uh, as is the case with long form nonfiction storytelling, we were making edits and changes to that last episode until two in the morning on the 29th. So we were working on it on the 29th. So I'm going to give us credit for 11 months at minimum of really consistent uh, work on this. So one thing I should have brought up at the beginning of the podcast for people that haven't listened to it, it's called The Rumor. What's The Rumor? Mm. Tell us what the, the rumor, the guy said, have you heard about The Rumor? Tell everybody what The Rumor is. So the rumor is, and this has been, as we say in the podcast, has been going around. I think when we, one of the things that's been interesting about the story is, you know, as you hear in the episode, this guy at the tropical themed birthday party hears that Mac is from Baltimore and says, oh, you're from Baltimore, so you must have heard the rumor. But as we came to understand, the rumor has traveled much farther and much wider than just Baltimore. But the rumor, uh, as it goes in its original form, is basically this. It's 1997. It's August 14th. The Orioles are in the midst of a pennant race against the Seattle Mariners. The phrase Oriole, the words Orioles and pennant race uh, being in the same sentence probably won't make sense to a lot of your listeners. Uh, they don't make a lot of sense to us as Orioles fans. Um, but back then, they were really, really good. And not only were they 
a really good team. They were the, the best draw in the American League. They led the American League in attendance year after year, three and a half million people. So a ticket to an Orioles game was a big thing. Uh, so it's August 14th and they're about to play this game against the Mariners and the lights go out um, above the first base dugout and nobody can figure out why. And so they're frantically trying to get them fixed, um, but they can't get them fixed in time. There's a delay of about two hours and eventually the game gets postponed to the next day. And within days of the outage, this rumor starts to spread that the reason the lights went out is because Cal Ripken, who was the Orioles, at that point, he had moved over to third base, um, but he was already, you know, he'd broken Lou Gehrig's record, was a first ballot Hall of Famer beyond question. Um, supposedly, he was on his way to the ballpark that night of August 14th, realized he forgot something. Hilariously, in some tellings of the story, uh, it, the allegation is that he forgot his glove, which is a strange credibility a little bit like why would Cal Ripken not have his baseball glove? It's basically surgically attached to his left hand. But um, so he realizes he's forgotten something. He turns around and he goes back to his house. And when he gets there, he finds his wife and Hollywood Hall of Famer, Kevin Costner in Amorous and Twine, um, flips out. He and Costner get into a fist fight. Ripken hurts himself not catastrophically but enough that he doesn't think he can play in the game that night which would mean his consecutive game streak would end so in a panic he calls the orioles again according to the rumor mm -hmm. he calls the orioles and says i can't play tonight either he says fake a power outage or he says to them you got to do something to postpone this game and the orioles in some tellings via hedge clipper, in some via chainsaw, <laughs> um, <laughs> cut the power to the lights in such a way that it won't be repaired in time, thereby postponing the game and allowing Cal Ripken's streak to remain intact. And so the premise of our show is, um, is this story true? Did this, did this actually happen? The thing that sticks out to me about this story is that he's driving to the stadium forget something i don't know if you said he was halfway there that's the rumor and he turns around and goes back and costner's already in bed making love to his wife i mean like how far away from the stadium did cal ripken live that i mean kevin costner must have been like out in the bushes waiting for him to leave <laughs> to be you know what i mean to, well like what, you, what's the hurry cal ripken's you, be gone. he's gonna be gone for like four hours what's the hurry as you know rob uh, in the late 90s there was a rash of incidents of Kevin Costner just appearing at people's houses and seducing their partners. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty fun. I don't know if it's part of the commonly passed around version of this, but, or I just invented it. Um, but I always understood an aspect of the rumor to be that Costner had like slept over at the Ripkins the night before on August 13th. That um, makes sense. I mean, just if we want to go into the into the weeds um, and floorboards of your question, um, yeah, I, that's sort of what I always imagine that he wasn't so much waiting in the in the trees on the estate. And in fact, if he was waiting in the trees on the estate, it might still take him a couple of days to reach the house. <laughs> um, it's that far away. So 
Yeah. I don't know. Y'all, y'all got to see the estate while you're investigating. We did. We did. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's what Mac is saying points to one of the things that's really fascinating about this story is on its face, you know, if you don't know anything about the folks involved, it might seem a little bit far-fetched, but in fact, excuse me, um, Ripken and Costner were definitely friends. Um, we actually yeah. uh, tell the story in the episode of, of how they met, which is, I, I won't spoil because it's, it's a, I think it's a pretty good reveal. Um, yeah. But it, it was not beyond the realm of possibility that were Kevin Costner to be in town, um, he might at least go visit Cal. Uh, they were good enough friends that Costner sometimes sat in Cal's box seats um, to watch Orioles games, sometimes sitting next to Kelly, um, and would occasionally take ground balls in the infield before games during batting practice. Um, like they were, they were tight. They were bros. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the reasons that the rumor was able to have legs in the way that it did is once, because that seemingly improbable thing was true, it did not seem like a great leap of logic to imagine that, uh, well, he would have been there that night, perhaps if he was in town filming something. So you spoke about something in the podcast about, I'm I'm referring to when you got to talk to Cal Ripken's teammates and Mm -hmm. you, and you, you pointed out that if not for this podcast, I, I would have never been able to talk to these guys. And I, and I totally agree with that because that's what happens on this one. So it, it actually makes sense. I, I've talked to so many people on here that I never would have if I didn't have a podcast. So that hit home when y'all brought that up. But how, how amazing was that to actually get to talk to those guys as Oriole fans? Oh, man. Well, Rob, it sounds like you're, you're a kindred spirit in that sense, um, to use that phrase again. It was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, one of the reasons in the edit that we left in, there's a part where Mike Bordick tells the story of he's, he's coming down to Florida for his first ever spring training with the Orioles, knowing that he is going to be taking over for Cal Ripken at shortstop. So stepping into the cleat prints of the man who reinvented the entire position. And he's on his way down and he sees an article in the Washington Post about him. And he's like, oh, this is cool. And then he actually reads the article and it's just tearing him to shreds. Uh, like how could this you know, light hitting guy from Oakland possibly take the place of Cal Ripken Jr. And that was an amazing story. And I don't know if he's told it elsewhere before. Um, and he gave it to us. And so that was incredibly cool, but I was so unabashedly delighted at the fact that he was doing this, that I was just laughing like a little kid the entire time. And we made a conscious choice to leave that in the edit, to be honest about the fact that, you know, as much as we like to fancy ourselves to be hard-hitting investigative journalists looking into this, it's undeniable. Part of what the show is about is that you're talking to people who you grow up feeling like are from the realm of the gods. And here they are on the phone with you talking about these incidents in their life, like you would talk about walking your dog, you know? Yeah, totally. And if I can just add a little bit to what Sam was saying, um, maybe my favorite 
of the players to speak with was Jeff Rebelay, you know, who in many ways is probably like lost to the vast history of baseball for a lot of fans. But, you know, for us, he's meaningful, you know, he's part of, like Sam was talking about, sort of like this last sort of great moment in Oriole history, right? And he's just so indicative of like the kind of player we always had that was so essential to the team, these kind of utility guys who would just do whatever was asked of them and wear their mustaches in such a fantastic way. Mm. And beyond that <laughs> though, something that was just amazing, which I'm not even sure Sam and I talked about before we were on the phone with Jeff Rebelay, is the fact that Sam was at the game in the 97 playoffs when Rebelay took Randy Johnson deep at a pivotal moment in that series. And just to be like a kind of fly on the wall of that call when Sam and, and Jeff were going over that and you hear Jeff be like, yeah, that was pretty cool. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know, it was such a like heartwarming and simple exchange. Um, so I just, yeah, that really like jumped out to me as being like you're saying, Rob, just a moment that you can't kind of like imagine will will come along if not for sort of like digging into these stories. Yeah, I don't know if, if you resonate with this uh, sketch, Rob, but one of my favorite SNL bits of all time is um, Chris Farley, the, the bit in the sketch is that Chris Farley has this interview show where he talks to famous people and he's so overcome with awe by all of his guests that the best he can do is like Paul McCartney comes on and he says, hey, um, do you remember that time when you were in the Beatles? <laughs> yeah. that, that was so awesome. <laughs> and I was fighting that so hard in every single one of those conversations. Um, and there's plenty of tape that is pretty much that, that obviously we didn't put in the show because that, you know, there's arguably some stuff in the show that uh, we should be embarrassed is in there, but um, there's, to anyone who's listened or is going to listen, rest assured, there is even more embarrassing stuff that didn't make it in. Yeah. So I, I had on the uh, PA announcer for the Astros, Bob oh, cool. Ford, and we've actually become friends. So it just amazes me that this guy's my friend. But the first time I had him on, we didn't do video or anything, but I couldn't stop smiling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like talking to the building because it was just so amazing that this guy was talking to me, some guy sitting in his room recording a podcast, you know. But another thing that you guys probably found pretty awesome as fans is that the tour, the elect the electrician took you on the tour. That had to be, how did that happen? I mean, was it the off season? I mean, he wasn't scared to get caught. Was it, was it approved? How did that happen? I mean, that happened almost entirely because Ray Winfrey is one of the greatest humans in the world. Um, and we'd had a phone interview with him a couple months before that. And, you know, it went well and we all got along. And then when we let Ray know that we were gonna be in town um, working on the, on the story, I think he might have even just offered before we even asked, like, if I remember right, maybe I'm mixing it up, but in any case, it was not that complicated, you know, either we asked or he offered and before we knew it, yeah, we were like making plans to meet up with Ray at, at the stadium and to answer your other question, 
yeah, it was amazing. Like, um, <laughs> I just kept feeling like we're, I mean, we were seeing behind the curtain, right? Um, I mean, I, I think I'd only been, I'd only once had I been in like a professional baseball clubhouse that was as a reporter also that was in Oakland and the Orioles happened to be in town. It was probably roughly around the same time, late nineties um, as the rumor. But um, yeah, I mean, just, it was interesting because it, we didn't go to a clubhouse. We didn't like, you know, step on the field. And I actually didn't even like think about doing that. I guess maybe we were so laser focused on like the electrical system that it didn't even like occur to me to be like, hey, could we just like touch first base or whatever? So I was much more like fascinated by, you know, the circuitry and the breakers and the, um, yeah, the old control panel that controlled the lights was actually maybe one of my favorite moments <laughs> in the last year of working on this is when, you know, Ray opens the door and sort of like ushers us beyond the veil in a way. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I might be um, giving us more credit than we're due here, but one of the things I remember Ray saying to us in the course of this, you know, cause we told him we were looking into this outage and he said, yeah, you know, I heard those rumors. Nobody ever asked me what happened. Um, and I think it meant a lot to him to have two people come along and say, we would like to know the real story of this. Um, one, just from the standpoint of getting it right, um, which I would like to think we did, uh, you know, for the first time that anybody, you know, after 25 years of this story floating around as we talked about, but also Ray, as Mac and I came to understand in a very visceral way, is somebody who takes a very profound pride in his work. Um, he, it's really, really important to him that things work properly at Oriole Park at Camden Yards and that everybody who's there to watch a game has a, an excellent experience. And so the idea that we wanted to talk at all about all the behind the scenes stuff that goes into creating that experience, it seemed like was the kind of opportunity that does not come along very much uh, for him. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm making Mac and I into, you know, these paragons of grace by virtue of asking him about this. We were just doing it because we were following the threads of the story. Um, I think he would have been excited had any two reporters come knocking to ask these questions, but we were fortunate to be those reporters and to get to make that connection with him. Yeah, and so to extend what Stan was saying slightly, um, when he was talking about how no one had spoken to Ray, no one had spoken to Ray before. I mean, the way we even ended up on the phone with him to begin with is we went back and looked at old newspaper stories about the outage, and the guys quoted in those. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like they were the top executives who ran the state agency that ran the stadium, so they were the ones that you know, next day reporters call up and talk to those top executives. But when we then followed up with them ourselves, they all said, oh yeah, I'm not the right guy to talk to. If you want to know what like really happened, you got to talk to this guy. And then the next guy we talked to was like, actually, if you want to know what really happened, you got to talk to Ray Winfrey. So, I mean, just to Sam's point, it's like, yeah, I mean, you can see how that's the, the case, but it was still, I think, sort of surprising to us that someone hadn't 
sort of like followed that trail before. So you had another character in your story, Mad Dog. Were you guys truly scared of that guy? You seemed really scared. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, well, there's there's. <laughs> um, Listen, I scare easily. That like one caveat out of the gate. Um, but that said, like I think even a, a tougher man than I would. Um, you know, I mean, listen to the show and and judge for yourself. But yeah, yeah I, I um. You also have to like, you had done some research and like read stories about him and like seen his photo and yeah, he's an intimidating dude. I was genuinely, genuinely <laughs> nervous about yeah what, what might happen. I mean, this is much pared down in the episode and there were longer versions of the, or the first couple episodes where Mad Dog is a key player um, that went into much more detail about this. But He's somebody who, uh, this is a matter of public record that he was sued for, um, you know, I guess the most responsible way to say it would be aggressive policing, but um, knocking people down who were not committing crimes just out of a desire to kind of show authority. Um, and so two knuckleheads with microphones showing up who are asking him about a potentially sensitive subject, um, it seemed conceivable that we might be fair game for such things. Um, and then, you know, when we got to his house, um, he had a lot of very aggressive messaging on his vehicles and, uh, and on his, his house, you know, like stay away from my house and um, a lot of like, you know, stuff to indicate that he owned guns and was not afraid to use them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially given the fact, and you hear Mac and I have this realization in the show, especially given the fact that we don't actually know at the moment we're walking up to his house, whether he knows anything about this, we just have it on relatively good authority that he might. All of a sudden in that moment, it starts to feel like, is this a guy we really want to like go banging on whose door we really want to go banging on and start asking a bunch of invasive questions? Um, and when you couple that with the fact that, uh, sorry, mad dog, not to be slanderous, but your mailbox was a little rusty and very hard to open. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden we realized like, Oh, now we might actually be vandalizing this dude's property. Um, that let's uh, reconsider our strategy here a little bit. <laughs> So at the end of the last episode, you talked about another rumor that someone mentioned to you. I can't even remember what it is. I just remember that there is another rumor. Can you tell me what that rumor is? And if you are or if you are not going to tackle that rumor. Oh, I like I like your uh, desire to break some news here, Rob. <laughs> I, I must salute you a second time. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's giving much away to say toward the end of our series, we have a conversation with these two really excellent guys um, who worked for Ray as uh, electric, electrical engineers at Camden Yards, Eric Howell and Alonzo Andrews. And it's in that conversation, they remind us about um, the Super Bowl in 2013 when the Ravens were destroying the 49ers at halftime and soon after halftime come back, they're back on the field after halftime and 
the lights mysteriously went out that day. And I think it's even Alonzo Andrews in that call is like, oh, Eric Howell is like, yeah, wasn't that because of J-Lo's hair dryer? And Alonzo's like, <laughs> Alonzo's like, well, that was the rumor. Yeah. And as soon as he said that, I feel like we are like, hmm, are we gonna, is this our new niche? Have we just stumbled into this very, very small niche of, <laughs> you know, lighting malfunction journalists? Um, and Sam and I are right at this moment kicking around a few ideas that we're interested in. Um, and yeah, I can't say what will what will come of that other rumor idea, but um, it may be in the mix. But I will say right on cue, very shortly after the episode was released, we got a message from a listener saying, hey, if you guys really are going to look into that Super Bowl power outage, I know the guy who was the head electrician um, and I, I can get him for you. <laughs> right. I don't think I was thinking about it seriously until Sam told me that today. I was like, oh, well, could it hurt to like just poke around a little? <laughs> Maybe, you so know, were you guys were you guys happy with the uh, final product of the podcast? Yeah, oh, we were. We were my, thrilled. Um, it's my favorite podcast right now. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's very good. I liked it. My girlfriend liked it. My son, like I told you guys, he lives in Baltimore and he drove all the way to Oklahoma City and he listened to it. I, I think there was only five episodes out, so he. I don't know if he finished it up yet, but. You know, from one podcaster to another, it was very, very well done. There was another one about the Astros before. It was called The Edge, and Ben Ryder had written a book about the Astros. And it's if you listen to that, folks, this this podcast is done just as well. It's the same way, you know, great storytelling, background music, clips. It's it's very well done. You guys are really going to enjoy it. Thank you, Rob. I, I, we so appreciate all of your really thoughtful questions about it um, and the chance to come on and chat with you about it. Um, and I think, you know, I want to make sure we give a shout out to the folks at Blue Wire who, who gave us the opportunity to do the story because um, it's the kind of story, the way that we told it, which as we've been talking about here, blended a lot of elements of you know just pursuing the investigation but also a lot of the personal resonance that we both feel for the Orioles and you know by extension that a lot of folks feel for their teams and entwining those things um is not an easy Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.